welcome. I'm Lauren Rosen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Purely OCD. Kelly and I are OCD specialists who happen to also be in recovery from OCD ourselves. Each week we meet to talk about all things OCD, one topic at a time. You may notice we try to bring a little levity and humor to our discussion around this deeply painful disorder, as this has been a very powerful tool for our own recovery as well as our clients. If you'd care to join us, we record live on Mondays at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube. We generally answer a few questions from our live viewers related to whatever topic we're covering that week. And if there's a topic you'd like covered, you can also submit a request on our website, purelyocd.com. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD. Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. Good afternoon. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Good. So, Good. so in any event, we're talking sexual orientation OCD again today. Specifically, we will be talking about compulsions, and we're uh, excited to do that and, and thrilled to answer any of your questions if you want to throw them in the chat. Um specifically related to this topic, of course. Yes. Yes. Um, so just to recap last, uh, podcast, I was going to say last session. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Last session. It's kidding. This is not therapy. This is for educational purposes only, but, um, we were talking about the obsessions around sexual orientation, OCD that are very common and just, Briefly, if you haven't seen it, you can go back, but we'll recap it. So it's any intrusive, unwanted thoughts around whether or not your sexual orientation preference is what it typically would be. Like what what you identify as. What you identify as, right. Yeah. And we went over like you could identify as heterosexual, but have obsessions around what if I'm bisexual? What if I'm... Um, gay, and you can be bisexual and have obsessions around what if I'm heterosexual, what if I'm gay, and all the other iterations of that. Yes, exactly. So just the idea is like, what if I'm lying to myself Mm -hmm. and everyone else? Uh, And sometimes in terms of like the core fear, like, or the, the sort of central concern there, it's like, what if I hurt my partner? What if I, you know, live a lie? Like these are the the sort of long-term ramifications that people are worried about because they're mis- like the, the anxiety about what if I'm misidentifying? Yes. Yeah. So the, the moral aspect, the relationship aspect, all the different variations that come into play. Yeah. And you were bringing up existential concerns last mm-hmm. time and how that kind of weaves in as well. Um So with all of that said, what are some of the common compulsions that you see at play with this particular subtype? I think the most common would be the groinal checking, Mm. right? Like, am I aroused? Um, Do I feel a a arousal or attraction towards this person? And kind of checking in with the groin area. So that's what groinal checking is. It's like you just hyper-focus on the groin area. 
That's it. And yeah. shocking something either happens or it doesn't. And it's all terrifying either direction. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think too, what, one of the interesting things here is that groinal, the groin can be either a trigger in this subtype or it can be something that becomes compulsive, like the checking of it. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes the checking will happen after you've been triggered by it at some point. Like, yeah. okay, well, wait, but is that, is it moving again? Or can I feel something again? Because last time I did feel something and that, you know, et cetera. Okay. So yeah. it's important to note that like the groinal response would be a trigger. The groinal check would be a compulsion. So it's like the referencing of it. And like the, I don't know why, whenever I think of like internal checking, my face always does the, hmm, like <laughs> your <laughs> eyes look up and you're like, huh. Uh, that's like that's a, a barometer. Is it a barometer that checks like the yeah. humidity and the temperature? Yeah. It does all of it. Yeah. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what it don't measures, know. but it measures something. Damn it measures it. groinal checking. <laughs> That's this what whole time. I, we didn't even know it's, it was about, yeah, barometers. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, the, the meteorologists were wrong. <laughs> I don't even think it has to do with me. Well, I guess it does. Yeah. The know. weatherman or lady. Yeah, that's true. Cause it's like pre pressure. Wow. <laughs> this is a rabbit hole that we could really go down. Yeah. But instead, lest we digress, we um, so yeah, so it, groins get involved, right? Because there's concerns about whether or not you're aroused by certain things and what that may or may not mean about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there can that's a, ch a checking example. And there can also be like the reassurance seeking aspect. Yep. So additionally to just the groinal checking, reassurance can go in terms of like, hey, um, have you ever had thoughts about this to somebody? Like, have you ever had um, thoughts that maybe you would be attracted and asking your friends or family or, hey, asking your parents, like, was I attracted to fill in the sexual orientation preference mm -hmm. yep. and getting some type of reassurance that way? Yep. And then I think also this is where some sneaky reassurance seeking can come in. Mm. Um, oftentimes it's like, well, but you've been, you, you've noticed when somebody of the same sex or different, depending on what the concern is, like mm -hmm. you've been able to note it. Let's okay. Let's take the example of a gay man, right? Somebody who is a, a male who's identifies as gay might say, yeah, but you notice, you can tell when a straight woman is pretty, right? Or yeah. you can tell when they're attractive, right? And it, it's almost like you could do it without the right. Yeah, you then. could. You could actually you just say. read the face. Yeah. The nonverbals. <laughs> do they look alarmed or do they look like, yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then t taking that read and going and putting it into the old computer brain hole. Yeah. Um, and seeing whether or not, yeah, like as feedback. And so that's something that comes up a fair amount with this as well. It's like, sure. and it's interesting, right? Cause when we're, when we're working with clients with this subtype or with any subtype, there is some psychoeducation 
about the content, even though we were all, it's not about the content. It's not about the content. Oftentimes we'll say like, you know, there's something called the Kinsey scale and there's a sort of, um, a broad spectrum when it comes to sexual identification. And so most people are neither 100% gay nor 100% straight. So like, we're going to educate people about that to help them to be with this sort of nebulousness, which is sexuality, hopefully. However, sometimes they can actually use that to reassure themselves or in discussion with others, you could see somebody going, oh yeah, but like, you know, the Kinsey scale. So we're all a little bit we're all a little bit straight. We're all a little right. bit gay or whatever the, right. the thing is. Um, yeah. And even though that's probably not for the best for people. Mm-mm. Right. It, uh, yeah. It's tricky because anything can become compulsive, you know? So sure. That's Absolutely. an example of it going haywire. Yeah. And I think a specifically an example of like education that may come up in therapy becoming compulsive. Like Mm -hmm. if you're repeating that over and over again to remind yourself that you are not whatever Mm -hmm. sexual orientation you're afraid you are. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I think remembering too, that this element of compulsivity is about repetition, right? It's excessive. It's not uh, to your point, any behavior can be compulsive. Any behavior might not be compulsive in theory. It's, it's that it's excessive. Urgent. Yeah. Urgent. Um, yeah. That quality, those qualities make it compulsive. Right. It's prime directive is to obliterate the feared associated with the obsession. Whoa. The yeah. prime, prime directive prime is directive. obliterate. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to start digging some bells over here for SAT words, man. Well, but I mean, I think it's just an aggressive way of explaining it because it is so aggressive and it feels so aggressive. But It does. It does um, feel aggressive. And going into more compulsions, I would say like avoidance is a huge one with this. Mm-hmm. So it could be like avoiding any shows that may trigger you. Mm-hmm. Um, avoiding hanging out with certain people that you find like attractive um, avoiding sexual encounters as well, which can mm-hmm. impact relationships pretty deeply. Yeah. Um, because we're trying to avoid, am I aroused? And also uh, images, intrusive images that can come with this obsession. Yep. I, I think too, with the avoiding sex, oftentimes that's because it's such a miserable experience, not only because of the intrusive images or thoughts, but also because people end up going way down the rabbit hole in terms of compulsing, right? Mentally compulsing mm-hmm. and, and the checking of the physical, like the groinal check happens during sex or, you know, am I feeling connected right now? Whatever that means or however one measures that. So, um, so there's like, it's it, yeah. Anxiety fewer. gets in the way too. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. The side effect of it. Yeah. So and- good luck enjoying sex if you're <laughs> stuck in an obsession and then also feeling anxious. And then your therapist is like, maybe you should go home and have sex with that person. And then you're like, wow, okay. Really? Should That's I? Should not I? what I wanted to do today. <laughs> Thank you. Although, so this is really important though, because as we talk about so often, the exposure is only as good as the response prevention that you do because Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just triggering yourself and, and really causing yourself pain. 
So before you do these kinds of exposures, right? Like, and I'm sure you're talking about this with your therapist, go with what they're saying. But generally speaking, we don't want you to start taking on exposures before you're ready to do the response prevention. And so with like sex, take sex for an example, we don't want you necessarily diving in there if you don't have some mechanism for disengaging from the mental compulsions and going, I don't know. So sometimes there can be a little bit of psychoeducation, a little bit of work with other, yeah, with other exposures before we get to something like that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, And just to piggyback off of that, I would say that the response prevention or the exposure is only good as the response prevention piece, but also knowing that exposures like that, there are going to be a level of compulsivity that goes on. And that doesn't mean that the exposure wasn't worth doing, which I know you and I've talked about, but just as a reminder, yes, um, that, you know, that, that can be a high octane exposure. Oh, can it? Yeah. Um, actually it's really interesting because, um, so Laura of OCD doodles, which is Mm -hmm. a great account on Instagram. If you don't follow it, she posts awesome educational material Mm -hmm. and just great little uh, artwork, but she's doing this, this series for the holiday season. And, um, in it, one of the things that she posted was that like, you can always make the choice to drop compulsions. Basically I'm paraphrasing through my own lens, but, um, I really appreciated that she said that, like, it doesn't matter how far down the rabbit hole you've gone. And this is certainly the case when you're doing something like having sex and you have this tendency to ruminate, doesn't matter how far you've gone or how long you've been disengaged. You always have the chance to come back to the present moment and the physical sensations of the present moment. Yes, absolutely. It's such a good reminder for all things compulsive for sure. Yes. Yeah. So just piggyback off of your piggyback. Yeah. 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 There's like an aggressive piggyback Piggyback. situation. I know. I like it. Um, I was going to say something about avoidance. Um, Hmm. You might also, can I throw something? Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, do it. Um, avoids, avoidance can happen of people of a certain sexual orientation as well. So mm-hmm. let's say that you're gay, you have anxiety that you might be straight. You might avoid uh, heterosexual people of the opposite sex mm-hmm. because you're afraid that like, if you're around them, then maybe you'll realize that you are actually straight. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, they also may avoid like certain like OCD groups too. Like what if somebody, uh, is gay in there and then they make me gay and Mm. right. Like there's all, that's true for a lot of obsessions too. Or like, what if they give me their obsession or what if they sort of like a magical thinking kind of thing, right? Right. Like a, like you can catch any of this, like it's contagious and it's not. Yeah. Yep. Like going to a gay parade or like gay pride parade. Like, okay, well, pretty sure that's not how that works, folks. Uh, No. I can confirm as somebody who identifies as straight who's been to a lot of gay pride parades that actually that you, I mean, I haven't yet anyway. So So far, but we don't know. 
I think it's actually really important that we touch upon this as well. And I, I can't remember if we actually talked about this last time when we were talking about obsessions, but um, this, maybe we did, this used to be, you know, referred to as HOCD, which was for homosexual OCD. And yeah. that, it's a total misnomer. Yeah, we did talk about that. Um, but I, I think just pointing out here too, when you're doing exposures, right? Like, and as we're talking about this, it's, I I just want to acknowledge that if we say something like you can catch it, right? Like it's, it's less, um, because it's less stigmatized to be straight. It's like saying like, oh, well you like, you might be afraid that you could catch being straight, that there's a little bit of a different, it hits different when you say like, I'm afraid that I could be like, I could catch being gay because Mm -hmm. of course we live in a society that, you know, gay people have been marginalized for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just want to acknowledge on here too, that, uh, neither Kelly nor I endorse any sort of marginalization. Mm -hmm. Um, and we also have to talk about how these thoughts come up and, and how sometimes there's avoidance that is related to, you know, that, that may reflect, the world in which we live, which, you know, still, unfortunately, there are some, you know, there are a fair amount of biases that exist and, and yeah. That's true. Good. Anyway, point. Just felt important to acknowledge. Hopefully I didn't do too clumsy a job of it, but I, you know, no, you did great. That was really important to, yeah. to point out. Yeah. Um, the, I remembered what it was, I was going to say the avoidance was, well, not exactly. It was going off of confessing. So mm-hmm. there may be a lot of confessing with partner, like, Hey, like, I guess the sex thing ignited that in my brain is like, I'm sorry. I'm so anxious. I was having these thoughts about this and like, do you think I'm gay or I'm just telling you because I have like this moral drive that goes back to the original episode we had last time we met, which is I'm duping my partner. I'm doing something immoral. So I'm going to confess to them that I was actually trying to figure out whether I'm gay or not or straight or not. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because then I'm off the hook as we I'm talked off about the last time. Yeah. Like more, but yeah. Yep. Or maybe we can talk through it because they know me as well and we can figure it out together. Mm, a little co-rumination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. No yeah. Big deal. Um, what else? What else? So we've talked, I mean, we didn't do a deep dive yet, I guess, into the different ways that it can show up within the context of mental compulsions. Yeah. Um, yeah. we talked about sort of emotionally checking, uh, as well as physically sort of checking your experience internally, your interoceptive awareness of the mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but what other what other compulsions do we see in that arena? In the mental compulsions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is com- can be comparing, um, mm. comparing certain feelings to other feelings. So like the relationship I'm in now compared to my attraction I had with this person. Do I feel something? Mm -hmm. Do I like it? It's more like thinking through the process of it. Yes. Um, What would my life be like? And visualizing in the future, like, okay, what if I break up with my partner now and I um, decide I want to identify as heterosexual straight? 
So now I'm envisioning my mind, my life with somebody who is also straight. And now we've gone down a huge rabbit hole. Yes. And I, I really appreciate, cause I was going to talk about mental review, but what you're, what you're saying is absolutely spot on that comparison is really what's happening, right? Even if you're reviewing an experience, usually like to see whether or not you had a feeling it's to compare it to what you think you should be experiencing yeah. or whether or not, yeah, it's it, the experience is reflective of what, how you're identifying. So exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's some, some comparison inherent mm -hmm. to that. Any other mental, I mean, there's probably a gazillion different compulsions that we could get into. Um, right. No, I mean, I think that those are the main, like rehearsing, reviewing, uh, experiences. Um, yeah. Like how will I act when I go to this party, how am I like rehearsing it in your mind? Is that what you mean? Yes. And also sort of like the fantasy rehearsal, like, okay, mm -hmm. well, what would this be like? And would I be happy in this? And would I enjoy, be, you know, being with this type of person and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is where you can see it's like, it's all a, a jumbled bunch anyway, because if you're like, oh, would I enjoy that? You're emotionally checking. Right. So it's, yeah. It's rehearsing for the future, but you're also checking. It's all. I know. The question is, are you trying to figure out your sexual orientation <laughs> when you've tried to figure it out 900,500,000 times? Yeah. Good so, luck. You're yeah. You're not going to find an answer. No, no. And that's, I mean, obviously there is no certainty, but as I think we spoke to last time, it's just when, when you're talking about something as nebulous as sexual orientation, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And everyone wants to fit into a box. And I think it's only now that our culture, westernized culture has even begun to scratch the top of the conversations around like that, you can't be, it's not a binary experience that sexuality is on a continuum and you, everyone fits in different places, but you don't know your exact percentage and you never will because that doesn't exist. Nope. It's an illusion, gang. Sorry. Right. Mm -hmm. Gosh, we're such bummers. We always let. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, but honestly, it's ultimately good news because learning mm -hmm. to live with the fact that there are no answers it's freedom. Yeah. It's so true. So this probably doesn't sound great if you're, if you're new to this realm, but trust <laughs> us, <laughs> it's actually, it's okay. it's okay. Yeah. You get to say, Oh no, thank you. I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> I would and prefer then you not to spend my day trying to figure this yeah. out. Yeah. It's hard because I think that it seems as though the answer is to figure it out. And so when, when we're like, oh, we're going to stop trying to figure it out. People are kind of flummoxed by that and mm -hmm. are not pleased, but mm -hmm. understanding that the problem is in the trying to figure it out, not in the fact that you haven't figured it out is really crucial as well. Right. Yeah. You, you will never wake up and go like, oh, today I realized I am a lizard or wow. an owl doesn't work that way. <laughs> You're just a human who's living on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, you know, maybe, maybe you will. 
I guess that's true. Yeah, you could. You could. Actually, this is so off topic, but there's um, there's a person or not. Well, I can't remember how it's on Instagram. There's a person I I think who um, has a lot of um, body alterations, and I can't remember how how they identify, but it's almost a alien, maybe. Anyway, long, long of the short of it is, and I'm not trying to draw a parallel here, that anything is possible. You could yes. wake up any day and think like. And- I think your DNA is still the same though. I do too. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Legit. Maybe. Anyway, like I said, that's random and totally unrelated yeah. to the topic at hand. You can get really close to being a lizard, I suppose, or an alien or. Yeah. Well, with all of the. Yeah, technology that exists these days. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, any other parting thoughts, my friend? I don't think so. I think the the end is just saying we don't know, we don't have the answer to any of this. And really trusting the process, jumping in and saying, I'm gonna just radically accept that maybe and move on. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and I think one thing I'll throw in there is because we were talking about it in the context of existential concerns and like living your life right on, on another level, right. Existential concerns can involve like, are we even alive as we've talked about before? Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to say, if we can't even prove definitively that we're alive, then how in the world are we supposed to prove definitively? Like I said before, something as nebulous as am I identified with my authentic sexual orientation or am I in the right relationship? Like these questions are way too blurry and like there, there are no clear answers yeah, there's no exactly. for anyone. No. So understanding that I think, you know, helps us back off and say like, nope, I'm good. Like you were saying. I'm good. I'm not going to figure out today. I got other things to do. Thank you. Goodbye. Yes. Yeah. And there's a little more space and peace around it. And okay, I don't need to do this. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, as always, thanks to those who joined us. And thank you, friend. Love having these chats with you. We'll, uh, We'll see you in the new year. We'll be back January the 15th at 1230 p.m. Pacific time. Um, So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Happy 2024. Yeah. Happy 2024. All right. Adios. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended as a replacement for therapy. If you need further support, we encourage you to seek treatment with a registered professional who specializes in OCD. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to leave us any feedback by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. You can find past episodes on our website at purelyocd.com. Remember, this podcast is for you, so please let us know what you would like to hear. We want to make our message as helpful as it can be. We hope you will join us in the future as we continue our discussion on all things OCD. Mm